Happy Friday. It's November 4th, 2016, and this is Travelogue, the podcast of Condé Nast Traveler. I'm here with Laura Redman, a staple of the podcast and our deputy digital director, and a newbie, Gina Lee. Gina's our product director, so she builds our website effectively with our tech team. And the topic of the week is how to travel with your family and stay sane. So it's coming up on the holidays, and people are going to be going to either go to places with their families or to go to the places where their families are and spend time with them. And so we felt like it was a good time to talk about some of the pitfalls that are going to happen, some of the landmines that exist anytime you get together with a big group of people to whom you are related near and far. And, you know, what are some of the ways that you can keep peace and keep sanity amongst all of those people? So this podcast kind of grew out of a piece that, Laura, you worked on with David that's called How to Survive a Family Vacation. It's on the site. Google that and you will find CN Traveler, How to Survive a Family Vacation. Maybe we kick it off with you talking about that piece and um, what you guys were thinking about when you were putting it together. Well, I think this whole conversation could be really short. You could just say booze, right? I mean, like (laughs) most family holidays go a little smoother when you have a little wine, beer, or liquor in front of you. But we wanted to have actual concrete things that we had tried on family vacations. And David Jeffries and I had recently both been on big, big family vacations where there were like 10 or more people on the trip. And Gina, you've been on a long distance vacation recently with your family. And I know, Brad, you traveled this summer on like a two week road trip, right? Oh, God, yes. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) So that's a lot of time spent with family. So you're negotiating kind of close quarters sometimes or trying to find a place, a destination that everyone can agree on. I think that's always probably the trickiest thing. That's a a regular Mm -hmm. debate in our household. Um, So first thing, where to go? I would say where to go. Although, so I go on a vacation every two years with my in-laws, my entire in-law immediate side of the family. So that's 12 of us now. I think it's 12, 12 or 13. We have a lot of little nephews. We have five boys under the age of 12 that we're going with. So, Which is a an additional complication that we should talk about at some point. Too. Well, that's the thing. Where to go starts and ends with where can we go with a lot of kids. Yeah. Right? And make everybody happy. And make everybody happy. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, a trip you may want to take with your spouse or just a friend. It is very, very different. You know, I, I may want to go to Tuscany, but Tuscany with five little boys under 12, there's not a whole lot for them to do there uh, if they're not of wine tasting age yet, (laughs) as lovely as it is. There Um, is no wine tasting age in Italy. Yeah, that's (laughs) a good point. So we typically go with resorts. My mother-in-law is a travel agent. She knows this. She plans this. She kind of helps set the tone. We all kind of offer ideas of where we would want to go. And this is a great solution because basically you can find places where all things are included. There are lots of resources that are there. They usually have things for the kids to do, right? whether they're structured or unstructured, but it's like you throw a whole lot at the problem. Right. The other option, which is one that David had recently taken advantage of, was to book a villa. So the tricky thing for us, at least, is we have trouble getting a lot of hotel rooms in a row. Yeah. And if the hotel room doesn't come with a kitchen, like a full-blown kitchen, not just the little kitchenette with a dinky little fridge, you need you know room to go grocery shopping and get lots of snacks and be stocked for the week because otherwise breakfast, lunch, and dinner at a resort, that can get pricey, right? right. Milkshake at one resort that we were at in, the, um, in Bermuda cost $12 maybe. It's like a cocktail in New York. Yeah, it is. And the kids treat it like a cocktail. So when the parents are having their like, you know, aperitivo at four o'clock, the kids want their milkshake at four o'clock. Yeah. So you want to have some snacks that you can just kind of bust out easily all day. 
villas offer that same kind of flexibility and it also gives you the chance to feel like a family. You're a family hanging out in the house. You know, mm-hmm. you're spending time together, you're in and out. You have a home base where people know they can find at least one mm-hmm. or two other people if they go back in to take a nap or whatever. If you have little kids, milk, so heating up milk, things mm-hmm. like that is challenging in a hotel room, definitely. Nap time is really important. And then if there's like a pool, you know, something to distract them, if they're getting bored, you know, if you're, you know, touring or walking around, it's good to leave a few kids behind and you know you can do your own thing right totally yeah Yeah. now the tricky line there though is like if you book a villa or a house someone in the family is going to feel like they have to like clean and cook and someone is going to feel like they're not having a vacation right yeah so there are some places in the caribbean that will offer you know help right and if you're going big you can get butler service you can get someone to come cook each night that will make it feel a little bit more like a vacation. Yeah, because I feel like one of the dangers with that is that you're going to bring all the things that happen when you go to your mother-in-law or father-in-law's house or whatever, mm-hmm. and all of the dynamics that are at play there in that kitchen are going to be just there yeah. at the villa. <laughs> right. And mm-hmm. sometimes those are awesome, and sometimes they're not. You right. know, So I feel like that's a good way of having the kitchen, having the resources, which is, it's true, like that can make a huge difference in your ability. It's like the stress level. Like, mm-hmm. Gina, when you talk about the milk thing, like I can remember that that's out of our lives now, but when that was there, it's this huge stress. Cause like there literally isn't mm-hmm. a mechanism for doing it easily, you know? Mm-hmm. And so you're sort of, you're running around, you're trying to solve this problem that is very difficult to solve. And outside of the problem itself, now you're in this like bad mood and you feel like yeah. bad parent and like you haven't done what you're supposed to do. So I feel like that's a good way to get the best of the mm-hmm. resourcing, but maybe by turning it over to somebody else, whether it's somebody who's at the villa or somebody that you bring in. And obviously there's an expense involved with that, but you know, it's peace of mind and sometimes it's worth spending for. If the villa has laundry or like Airbnb or, you know, whatever mm-hmm. rental you're using, that's really helpful too, especially if you have younger kids Little because kids. they totally. go through clothes daily all the time yeah Yeah. and it also helps with being able to pack lighter because when we went to korea in september we did mostly airbnbs in seoul and in jeju and they both had washer dryers which was awesome so then we can pack about like half as much as we normally would and then we were just basically doing laundry every day but it was it was really helpful so i mean this too like i think has changed and gotten a lot better where Mm -hmm. you know once upon a time renting a villa you know air quotes was like a Downton Abbey kind of thing <laughs> to do, right? Like that's right. your grand tour thing. Now there are villas aplenty, so to speak, you know, whether it's on HomeAway or Airbnb or One Fine Stay or whatever. And there are many, many, many more options. There's much more competition on price, I think, as well as location. And, and you have a much better shot of finding that nexus of like place, amenities, facilities, whatever, resources and price that, you know, is mm-hmm. going to work for your whole crew. Right. Which is another thing that you guys talked about that I thought was really important. And it's not like number two, but somewhere on your list is talk about money. So if, ahead you're, of time. if you're traveling with a big group of adults, right? And it might be in our family, it's a number of couples, including my mother and father-in-law. And what we do, it's something I really like doing. Every couple takes care of a dinner one night a week. Mm-hmm. So that means my husband and I will pick a restaurant or we may decide we want a barbecue if we're at a resort where there's a grill or we'll order pizzas, whatever it might be. Like we will pay for dinner that night. We will take care of food for everyone. Another couple will have another night and so on. And you're kind of like 
dictator for that night. So people have to kind so of. There's no debate. No you debate. get to decide. Exactly. You're responsible. Yep, you're responsible. You plan it. Everyone just shows up and they get fed. So that way you know you've already taken out the equation of where am I going to have dinner, which for us, dinner is kind of like the main meal that we all eat together. Mm-hmm. It's hard to do every meal together, and I don't think it's necessarily healthy too. I mean, people need their free time too, right? So It's healthy to eat the meals, yes. not necessarily together. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not <laughs> advocating fasting at this point. Um, food will help on a vacation. But I think by sorting out that many meals ahead of time, it's kind of fun too, you know, like you, it's a, it'll be a surprise the next day or. With regard to this notion of money, which it goes to the meals, but also beyond the meals, do you guys set up a price ceiling on that so that somebody's not kind of just. Each family or unit, whoever might be, sets their own price point. Okay. So whatever makes sense for them. Mm-hmm. Um, Is but, there an arms race of like, oh, we brought you, you know, this incredible, we brought in a chef. You know, I'd like to say that there isn't. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, a, a little. You kind of want to plan the best meal of the week. And, yeah. Do you um, want to win dinner? You want to win dinner. You always want to win. You always want to win. <laughs> no, a little. And I mean, I think you're trying to find something different, but I wouldn't expect my younger brother to plan the same kind of event as, you know, my mother and father-in-law would plan. Mm-hmm. So you're just kind of excited that someone's thinking about it and you, you treat it like their date that they've collectively planned for this entire family, right? You mm-hmm. show up on time and you get dressed mm-hmm. how they, you know, according to whatever the restaurant is and you go. Yeah. But yeah, I think in terms idea. of, you know, budgeting for the location, for the place, if you set those prices ahead of time and either pay it out ahead of time or agree to pay right when you get home. You're not kind of dealing with like the fives and tens during the week. Yeah. How have you guys handled that? That was a huge thing on our cross-country trip. I kind of want to hear how you did it. To be well, honest. I mean, for the first thing we had to do was assess everybody's kind of like my brother and his family, they travel a little bit differently than the way we do. A, they have two kids, so everything's more expensive for them. So we have to be mindful of that. And then that also has implications for the hotel rooms that they're going to book. It has implications for meals and things like that. And then also just style of travel. Everybody has a different way that they like to roll with this sort of thing. So we really had to find common ground on that. And typically what we did was we just sort of negotiated out like, okay, this is how much we can sort of afford to budget for this or how much we're willing to budget for this. And everybody kind of agreed to that. And then we just said, okay, great. Like then we will make sure that the choices that we make fall within those budgetary frameworks. But then when we were on the trip, you know, of course you're going around and you're doing things. And this is why I thought the tip was so good is that we hadn't really figured out ahead of time how we would handle expenses while we're there. And so somebody, I'll use the example of my brother. My brother tends to carry cash. I never have cash. Never, never, never. I live in New York. Like I just, everything has a card swipe or an Apple Pay or whatever. So for the first few days, everywhere we would go, we were out kind of in places where a lot of times we could not use credit cards. We couldn't use Apple Pay or whatever. And so he was paying for everything. And so we set up this generalized account. We realized this was not, like, cool. (laughs) And we set up a sort of thing where we were keeping tabs of the things that each of us had kind of laid out for. And we decided we're just not going to worry about it right now. We'll just reconcile at the end. However it works out is fine during the trip so that we don't have to have anxiety about it. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of the trip, we'll settle up and everything will be fine. And that was what we did. We just kept, you know, sort of a running tab. Seems like a weird thing to do. You're with your family. You think like, oh, family should always. But in fact, 
when you're there, you it, there is the possibility of these logistics kind of spinning out of control. And if you don't get it under control, there can be resentments, there can be, you know, ill will or bad feelings or whatever. Mm -hmm. And you have to just kind of like make a plan for it, I, which I thought was the that was what was great about the sketch. Like plan for it, just figure it out, talk right. about it, which is the most important thing. Mm -hmm. Well, talking about it during your trip kind of takes away from from the trip the mood the fun mm -hmm. right and i like the idea of keeping a running tab you could just do that and then venmo each other the differences mm -hmm. at the end of the trip yeah venmo and paypal have been huge for us you know it's so easy to just do it on the fly and you're done yeah well gee you were talking a little bit too about budgeting for airfare when you have really little ones mm -hmm. how old is your son now he just turned two last week oh yeah happy so birthday. Yeah. <laughs> so that not that the age where, is that when you start buying a seat? Yeah. So once they turn two, you have to buy a seat. And then before that, you don't have to. So when we went to Korea last month, he wasn't two yet. So we didn't buy him a seat because the tickets are pretty expensive from yeah. New York to Korea. They're like close to $1,000. So we just, we had a little strategy when we were booking and that was to book the aisle seat and the window seat because yeah. people generally when they see the seat map they don't want to pick the middle seat so going there it worked for one of the legs we had two legs each way so it was great because we had one open seat in our row and then we used this inflatable ottoman called the fly tot which was awesome basically it fits between the seat in front of you and um, the seat and it fills that space and then basically makes like a kind of a nice like flat surface for your kid to play on so he so, doesn't like fall yeah. through onto the floor yeah can yeah. you basically just stretch out yeah the whole it thing? was great because he could nap on it yeah. and then it was like his own little play area and it's, it's great if it's against the window because then he can look out the window and it's like yeah, a nice yeah. little l-shaped like sectional um <laughs> so he he loved it the only so you bad, guys, yeah. your strategy here was to get an aisle and a window with a middle seat in between in a, in a row of three yeah so leave the middle seat open since we only bought two tickets that's very clever. Yeah. So you, you, the thinking being that nobody's going to choose that seat, and so unless the plane is really crowded, exactly. You know, you're you you at least have a good probability of getting an open seat there. Yeah. That's yeah. genius. And then if somebody ends up in that seat, then I mean, nobody really wants to sit in the middle seat, so it's really easy to switch. Yeah. So coming back, we both legs. It was a full flight, so we yeah. ended up having to hold him, which was not easy. But um, thankfully, he slept the whole way, so. <laughs> It wasn't too bad going how'd you, there. How did you manage yeah. that? Um, the sleeping? Yeah. I mean, he's, he's like a 31-pound kid, so it was not easy. Like, I, I, my hips started going numb at some point, <laughs> so we had to just switch off. My husband and I would just switch off yeah. during the flight. Yeah, there, there's no way around that. Right. <laughs> what about um, little kids and jet lag? How do you manage that? Um... You just have to suffer through it. So <laughs> when we got, so it's like a like a 12 or 13 hour time difference between New York and, and Seoul. So when we got there, he was waking up at 3 or 4 a.m. every morning. So, you know, we'd have to wake up with him. And then eventually within, I would say like a week and a half, he got into the Korea schedule. And then we had to go back like four days later. <laughs> but it was okay because we were jet lagged too. But then, um, and then we're on vacation. So you know, a little more flexible with time. But then once we got back to New York, my husband and I had to go back to work, like basically the next day. And um, the coming back is, for some reason, it's much worse. So yeah, you'll, you'll basically sleep all day and then you're awake from like, I don't know, like, like 7 or 8 p.m. until 
I don't know, like 6 a.m. And then then you want to go to sleep for some, for some strange reason, even though the times don't really work out to be a match with the Korea you know, time schedule. So that took another week and a half. And it was just much harder because we were back at work. So what we would do is take turns like, OK, tonight you don't sleep. No way, really. <laughs> and then I luckily got to go on a business trip and I'm like, see ya. <laughs> so I just made him, my husband deal with it. Now, this is something we can talk about separately, but on the subject of children, like how have you guys, or Laura, in your case, how have your extended family negotiated leveraging the grandparents on these kind of trips? Ooh. Like, how do you think about can that? Can I talk about this on the record? Um, <laughs> so grandma and grandpa are very, very generous with their time. They do everything. They play in the pool with the kids all day long. They will, uh, I think my favorite thing, the thing I'm most impressed by is they will watch all five little boys one night during the trip and all the adult children will go out to <laughs> dinner and drinks together or they'll go out on like their own separate little dates and then everyone will meet up and have drinks together and kind of stay out and have like that one bingy adult night. Yeah. Um, Which is on my list of like, you have to arrange for one. You of have these. to. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. It has have to. to happen. Yeah. Cause it's not, yes, it is driven by like having fun with your kids and creating a happy family environment, but you do have to do something for yourself during yeah. that trip. Otherwise it's, mm-hmm. well. Gotta be some grown up yeah. time. Yeah. Yeah. When, yeah. We, when we were in Korea, my mother-in-law came with us and it was great because there was a couple nights where my husband and I wanted to go out drinking with our cousins and you know stay out pretty late. So then she would just watch our son and, and then wake up at 3 a.m. with him. <laughs> And then we'd come home and be drunk. (laughs) No, but I mean, it's critical. I think when you're in these extended groups, I do think it's great for the parental generation to get out of the house together and get away from their kids and away from the grandparents. And I mean, it depends, though, because I was thinking about this, like, uh, we're very lucky. My mom and also uh, my wife's parents are both totally willing to sort of take the kid for a night or two nights or three or four nights, whatever. They'll kind of take whatever they can get and let us go off and do whatever we want. But that's not always the case. I do know people whose grandparents are, whose grandparent generation are a little bit less interested in kind of going it solo with the kids. Or maybe it's because the kids are particularly sort of challenging or whatever. Or maybe it's just not their thing. They're not really into doing that or they feel like they're done with that part of their lives. But it's a real thing. And I think that then presents a problem for those folks when they are not able to get away a little bit like that Mm -hmm. because it's super critical to have that kind of time. We went on a cruise in January. And um, one nice thing about that was that they have babysitting services and they had like a, I think if your kid's over three or four on Royal Caribbean, you can just like leave them there for hours and then do your own thing. Disney also has an incredible kids club. Yeah, I, I remember going as a kid. And they had it for every age. You know, you could be a preteen or teenager, and there was, like, basketball courts on the roof of some of the, the boats. Or you could do little day trips with just your new little, like, teen friends around Castaway Key, their own little private Disney island. Like, places yeah. with kids clubs. We actually have something on the site about uh, resorts that have really good kids mm-hmm. clubs, yeah. resorts that are great for family reunions. Mm-hmm. Because, like you were saying before, Brad, there are a lot of these full-service places. The one that we go to fairly often is the... Um, Aruba Marriott Surf Club. So we had gone there for like several vacations in a row. And I think the main reason is because of this lazy river. And it's amazing the power of a lazy river. It's basically just this like I don't know what that is. Oh, What's a lazy okay. river? So it's like um it's a river that goes around the pool. It's like and, a man made river? 
Yeah, yeah. It's basically a, an extension of the pool. Uh-huh. And you get a floaty. You get uh-huh. an inflatable float, and you get your uh, drink at the cocktail bar. and Or you go with the kids. Was well, this for the kids <laughs> or the grown-ups? It's for both, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so you can just do a lap, and maybe a lap takes like the length of a drink. Mm-hmm. Oh, and okay. uh, you can hop in and you out. have my attention. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but those kind of things... Um, they're like the extra perks that the resorts have that mm-hmm. will really kind of make them stand out beyond just the pool. Or if there's a pool with like a really good water slide, it's amazing how much a water slide can do. It's also a good argument for taking a cruise, like in one of these multi-generational right. get-togethers, because everybody can get a piece of that. And I think the thing that I've realized is, as a parent, you sort of feel like, oh, it's terrible of me to want to spend time away from my kid. But the kids are actually having a ball. And I saw this most recently. This totally affects my choice of hotel, even even if it's not like a resort. But we were in Miami earlier this year, and we stayed at the one hotel in South Beach, which is much more of a, like, there's lots of great hotels in South Beach right now. But this one is particularly family-friendly, and part of the reason is because the pool is owned by the kids, at least the upper level. There's, like, two levels of pool, and the upper-level pool is owned by the kids. And what's awesome about that for the parents is, yeah, you you don't necessarily want to be in the pool while they're all kind of jumping around and chasing each other. But on the other hand, you can kind of let your kid go and not worry about it and sit back and have lunch or have a drink or whatever and taken the raise and and you you know the kids are having a blast the kids Mm -hmm. it was like the best time our son had had in ages on vacation because he made a bunch of little friends and then Mm -hmm. he didn't want anything to do with us it was awesome um when we were in seoul for sit like one nice thing about seoul is they have kid cafes in every neighborhood so they pick up a kid like what does that mean um (laughs) so it's basically like a cafe like you're going to a coffee shop but one part is coffee shop slash restaurant for parents and then the other part is just like huge play zone with those like you know bouncy houses balls train tracks like all these fun things for kids and basically they have cameras set up everywhere so they're running around you can just sit and relax and have a cup of coffee so i think our second day in korea we took uh, sebastian um, our son to one and we spent like four hours there and we're just you know just hanging out he was having a blast meaning me didn't even need to do anything he just was self he was like self-service right right. (laughs) well it's interesting the cameras you mentioned because you yeah brad when you're talking about being at the pool and kind of like sitting back the only thing is i don't know a single parent who feels like they can like sit back at the pool without having to have one eye on the kid somewhere so if there's maybe there's multiple people watching or if there are really good lifeguards on duty or if there's cameras that you can kind of follow that's Mm -hmm. that's huge that's such like a but the good place i mean again yes and if you're at the like at the one hotel you can kind of see what's going on. You know, you do have to, so- you can't completely go to sleep. Right. But they're kind of in front of you. It's not so far away. And in a lot of these other places, there are attendants there who are people who actually know how to work with kids. You know, they're either trained or they're experienced or whatever in the good places. And I think this is like the Disney cruises. You know, those people know what they're doing. They're used to working with kids. Maybe they're former teachers or maybe this is just their thing, whatever. And so you can have confidence to leave them there. And that's the thing I would say is that it's your it is your vacation. That's an important thing to think about. Giving yourself that peace of mind or what I learned is just stop feeling guilty about it, you know, and maybe you want to put some thought ahead of time into what you're going to be able to let go of. What do you need to plan for so that you will be able to have confidence that wherever you're leaving your kid is going to make you feel comfortable and sane and okay and you're going to be able to go off and have a good time and not feel anxious about it. And that takes a little thought ahead of time. 
mm-hmm. the idea of being feeling guilty is interesting too because when I first started taking these trips with my extended family I felt guilty just reading a book off on the side you know I felt like I didn't get to see them that often at the time I was living in Singapore so it was like once a year I'd get to see people and I felt like I had to be talking talking constantly mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. catching up with everyone around the clock and meanwhile I kind of just wanted to take a nap yeah for like 30 minutes and <laughs> I'm better at it now I mean it's been a decade now so I I feel like I can just walk away and be like I'm gone for an hour I'll see you guys later I'm going for a run I'm going to take a nap I'm going to go secretly eat ice cream without anyone watching whatever it is (laughs) you know right so feeling okay about stepping away from the group that's also something that David mentioned in the story but like Mm -hmm. you don't have to travel in a pack constantly yeah I think yeah we we split off into like little groups of twos Mm -hmm. and threes sometimes and then we'll huddle back up at lunchtime and then maybe split off again and do it again at dinner. I think that's helped make it more kind of navigable. That was a really important tip in your piece. And I thought my experience this past summer certainly bore that out. Like you have to give people time to get some alone time or just restorative time because you got to remember you're there in part or you should be there in part to kind of get your own sanity back from whatever your workaday life is. And if you don't, feel okay about that if you can't construct some of that time. And it is difficult. It can be difficult depending on how your family is and whatever. If you don't, though, you're going to come back home and you're going to be feeling like an like a hangover from mm-hmm, the vacation, mm-hmm. which is not an awesome thing for you to do. One thing that you guys had in your piece that we actually did on our trip that uh, I thought was not because you this piece was not out by the time we took it, but is create a family hashtag. What was the thinking there? Well, that was David's. He created a hashtag because they were all bouncing off doing their own thing and sometimes they like the mom would be like oh where's you know david and someone would be like <laughs> just check instagram he just posted so yeah. it's a way to keep track of people i yeah. mean if you have it's wi-fi you know it's it's actually very handy you could be like oh they were just down on the beach they just put up that photo of the palm tree you know yeah, yeah. um I l- what I did mean, you use it for well we used it to create a memory book on the fly mm-hmm. because there were four grown-ups posting pictures on Instagram. And so that was a way of aggregating all of those pictures mm-hmm. and seeing what everybody had done, which was kind of fun. And and to be able to do that in real time was just kind of a fun way to use social media. I mean, this is what people do with trips generally, and for us to be able to all pull them all together. And the other thing that it did that was kind of interesting is I think my brother and his wife were not particularly active on Instagram when we did this and it mm-hmm. got them active on it. That's fun. And it was great. Like they started posting really cool stuff just kind of while we were there. But you see people monkeying away on their phones doing what they do and you don't know what they're doing. And then you could see it in mm-hmm. a feed that you could pull up. And that, I thought that was kind of fun. That's sort of what David was talking about too. Mm-hmm. It's like you don't know exactly what's going on out there when mm-hmm. you're when you're kind of separated or back together and separated and back together. And this is a way for you to kind of get a different view of that. Yeah, it documents it in real time, but then you can, have, you can chat about it over dinner later or whatever. And I don't know, I think we have a lot of concerns as a society about how much time you're on a phone or at a screen during Mm -hmm. a vacation, there's the impulse to unplug. Mm -hmm. And we were advocating moderate Mm -hmm. screen time. Sometimes the kids just kind of needed an hour on their iPads to play their video game. And then they they were sated too. It was their equivalent of their recharge, you know, Mm -hmm. because to totally rip everyone away from every element of their normal day to day can also be kind of jarring. You have to kind of either phase into it or... I don't know. Unless you really want to cleanse like that and more power to you. I get paranoid when I go away from all my screens. Yeah, I can't do it. Yeah. I can't. I refuse. But I did. this is one that I wanted to throw in there that comes from a previous podcast is that 
in terms of that communication, there are times where either abroad or domestically, we were in national parks and we were running around the Southwest and there were many places where there wasn't good Wi-Fi or any Wi-Fi. Mm -hmm. Also, by the way, sorry, but if you're going to do that, get Verizon because it's the only one that it's the most reliable one there. And I'm like a many, many decades like AT&T user and we were screwed. Plug. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> they are not sponsors. I'm just saying that was my experience. It, it, those of us who had Verizon had service in a lot more places. But even they ran out of it in some of these places. And there's this product that I think is actually kind of cool for this, which is called Gotenna. Paul has talked about this. He did a little piece about it. I really wished I had them. I knew about it ahead of time and I thought, oh, it's not going to happen. I'm not going to need that thing. I've got, we got like mm -hmm. all these expensive cell phones, like whatever. There were so many times that I wished that we had something like that. And Paul makes the point in his piece that if you're on a cruise, this can be a substitute for walkie talkie because there are many times where you're moving in and out of service availability, just like we were out West. And they have a really good range. And so you can kind of use them the way people used to use walkie-talkies, whether you're, in our case, we were in different vehicles or we were in different parts of these parks. Mm -hmm. So we're like trying to talk to each other about like, oh, we need to make a left turn up here or whatever. And I really, really wish that I had these. They're kind of expensive. They're $200 for the pair, but it's totally worth it if you are going into any kind of vacation with extended family where you might be, where your service might be spotty. This mm -hmm. is a way for you because it's so frustrating. You're so used to it. You don't realize how used how you how much you're used to just texting somebody. Mm -hmm. right. And this preserves your ability to do that even if the cell service goes out, which is kind of an essential mm -hmm. thing. Um, the walkie-talkie too, actually, still I think it still holds a place on ski vacations. The getting a phone out when you're skiing with your big clunky gloves and everything mm -hmm. is really difficult. Yeah. And we've gotten those really cheap little lo-fi walkie-talkies and we just mm -hmm. stick them on the front of our coats. Yeah. I've done that without kids. I do that with adults. Yeah. It's very handy. Yeah. I forget which kind we got. But no, the Gotenna is a really, really good product. Yeah, it plugs into your phone. like whatever. But I t but that that's true, too. Your point is well taken, which is that... You don't kind of have to spend the $200. That lets you use your cell phone and text and whatever. But if you're willing to just talk into the walkie-talkie, you can probably mm -hmm. spend 50 bucks and be done with it. Mm -hmm. So it's a more economical solution and probably pretty durable, too, like as in, a, in a situation like skiing. Yeah, we fall a lot. They're fine. Yeah. <laughs> One that you guys had in the piece that I thought was really great is say yes more than no. Talk about that for a minute. So on vacation, I think... Everyone initially kind of wants to do what they want to do, right? And uh, getting into a herd mentality can be tricky. Mm -hmm. So one example that we gave was, say your, your mom's a little older and she's not necessarily a beach person, but everyone's going down to the beach. Mom says, yes, all right, I'm going to go check out the beach. I'm going to go hang out down there. I don't want to miss the family activity. You don't want to close yourself off because of your personal habits from mm -hmm. these kind of special experiences that might be happening mm -hmm. wherever you go. And I think it's just a good impulse to get into. You know, you may be tired. You may be overtired. Everyone, mm -hmm. at least from the New York tri-state area, who's going on vacation is overtired, right? So your impulse is like, uh, I don't really want to do that. Uh, mm -hmm. Do I have to? And it's just like, yeah, give it a shot. You may like being on a banana boat out in the ocean. Mm -hmm. Who knows? Or it may be really sloppy and annoying and then you can tell a funny story afterwards you may be a little tired not want to go on that like mile-long walk down the beach to see this really cool tree that your dad keeps talking about mm -hmm. when you get there the photos are kind of unreal they're kind of perfect instagram fodder and you'll remember that and your dad had a moment you got to share that with him 
So I think the idea is kind of getting around your impulse to be like, eh, and just say yes. Yeah, I like this because it, it's something that we've said before in other contexts about travel generally, which is open yourself up to experiences, kind of set judgment aside as much as you can mm-hmm. and be willing to do something that somebody else might want to do that you don't, you is not necessarily your first choice because it can open you up to something that could be great. It could be an experience that would be great for you. And also it's a moment of connection with somebody else where you're kind of giving in and that's mm-hmm. a nice thing to do in a context like that. And it, it's kind of what you're there for in a way, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I mean, also if somebody does say no, just letting them do their thing is important too. Cause when we went on our family cruise, we stopped in Jamaica and um, instead of doing the beach thing, my parents and my sister and her husband and my husband and our two year old, we wanted to go explore this local town, but you know, it's a little sketchy, but my brother and his family were really scared to go in there. Cause once we started walking outside, it just, you know, they weren't that, they're, you know, the they suburbs, wanted, yeah. you know, they used to like shopping malls and stuff, so they just weren't really pleased with that. So they're like, let's just head back. It was an unstructured environment. Yeah, yeah. There weren't really like sidewalks, you know, it was, it was a little scary for them. Right. So we're like, okay, you guys can just do your thing. So they like waited by the port and just hung out at like the gift shops and stuff. And we took our little walk around, got like jerk chicken, um, bought a little weed, smoked <laughs> for my parents. It was it was totally cool. Yeah. I tried to get my parents to smoke, but they you're looking it. at me like, can I say this? Can I say this? There's the referendum next week. It could be legal in like half the country next week. I don't know. No, that's a good point though that you don't you never push someone to do what you want to do, yeah. right? And yeah. I don't know. I think like we keep saying, it's a vacation for everyone, but there are so many different tastes and styles of travel, like you said, Brad, and interests. And maybe if you try like one thing during the trip that you normally wouldn't do maybe you set that goal for yourself you know Mm -hmm. that's another thing I don't know whether you talk about that ahead of time but like if everybody did that if everybody came at the trip with that mindset you know you would end up with a really great spirit for the whole thing right I mean Mm -hmm. that's a very hard thing to do I mean on the flip side of the whole thing cut everybody some slack You know, absolutely. It's hard for you, but it's also hard for everybody to spend extended periods of time in constrained environments with people that are that you don't spend every day with. I mean, it's hard enough to do it with the people you do spend every day with. Mm So, you know, everybody's out of their element to some extent. Everybody feels certain social obligations and pressures that may be stressing them out to extents that are not visible to you. And one of the best things that you can do is just try to cut the people with you a break, which mm-hmm. is which is part of that say yes, but it's really kind of, I think, thinking about the dynamic and sort of taking some responsibility for the dynamic and trying to create some space for people to feel, you know, okay about whatever mood they may be in. I think that's a good point, Gina. Mm-hmm. Like if you need to go off and kind of be grumpy now, all right, go off and be grumpy. <laughs> there's a corner over there. Or there's a there's a rock you can go sit you can on just over there. Put it on Instagram. We'll know where you are. Yeah, and it'll yeah. be exactly. fine. We'll hashtag find you later. Hashtag it with the family hashtag. Yeah, I think my brother was a little jealous when he heard about what we did in our little in our, our little excursion. Yeah. Oh yeah? Yeah. He wished yeah. he'd gone. Yeah, he, I mean we had Jamaican beef patties, we had the chicken, we had the weed. Like he, he was he was pretty jealous. Yeah. 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 But it's you know. <laughs> too late now. Once you're back on the boat, yep. it's too late. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, you guys, for um, for sitting in and talking about this stuff. That's a great place to close it. For everybody out there, I'm sure you're planning your holiday travel, so keep these things in mind. Be nice to everybody. 
It's the ghost of Jaina coming back. <laughs> Be nice. Subscribe to the podcast. We are on iTunes and SoundCloud and visit us at seeandtraveler.com. The piece we've been referencing here, there are actually many more tips that we didn't get time to cover here, is called How to Survive a Family Vacation. It's going to come in handy for you over the holidays. We are at Condé Nast Traveler on Facebook and YouTube and CN Traveler on Instagram, Twitter, and Snapchat. And um, please tweet at us and review us on the iTunes store. Send us feedback. We really love to hear it. We've been getting input from people and feedback from people. And actually, we got some great suggestions when we talked about London. We got some suggestions that came over Twitter for the trip that I'm taking to London because it was all about me. Um, as all podcasts should Always. be. Always. <laughs> oh, as all good podcasts should be. Why don't we tell people where to find you guys, Laura? So I'm on Instagram at Laura underscore Redman and on Twitter at Danon825. I'm Gina Collada with a zero instead of an O at both Instagram and Twitter. And you guys both have great Instagram feeds, so people should check those out. I am at Bradrick, and I'm going to close with one final thing, which is a happy birthday to my pops, who is in North Carolina. So happy birthday! Happy birthday. Thank you. Thank Have you. a great weekend, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>